This morning we are considering that passage of scripture, uh, particularly about, about Jacob and Esau, his brother, and the struggles that they had from the very earliest days, um, even until they were young men. And as one of them particularly tried to take advantage of the other, by doing some very tricky things, and we'll consider that in just a little bit uh, in greater detail. Every high school football team and most college teams have at least two or three trick plays in their arsenal. You know that, don't you? In fact, you may find yourself waiting just to see when those will occur Um, They are pulled out infrequently because if you play these trick plays out on the field too often, your opponents will guess what you're doing and undo everything that you planned. But under the Friday night lights, you can see some of the remarkable ways in which high school teams will take, each, uh, take advantage of each other out on the field. They will use even the old classic trick plays. You may have heard of the Statue of Liberty. You know what that one is, don't you? Go Google it, okay, this afternoon. <laughs> Do you know what the flea flicker is? Google that one too, okay? These are just classic, classic plays. I remember that on uh, my high school team, Uh, We used to use the reverse, and when that didn't work, we would use the double reverse, and if that didn't work, we'd use the triple reverse. I wonder if anyone's ever used a quadruple reverse. I don't know, but we were running all over the field trying to get the advantage of the other team. It's amazing what you can get away with out on the field. In fact, it is amazing what you can get away with in life. Some people grow up just thinking that it is their role to get the very best that they can by any form of trickery they are able to imagine. To some degree, all of us are cut from this same fabric. It's a part of our DNA. It somehow is born into us, not something that you and I might intend to be there, but something that is a part of our very being. I remember that when I was a middle schooler growing up over in in Metter, Georgia, that my brother, who was two years older than me and a friend of his, contrived without the knowledge of my mother and dad. I'm sure that they told them that they were headed to a movie. But my mother and dad did not know the significance of the movie name Easy Rider when they told them that. These two were just of the age where they could go to an R-rated movie. And they knew that it was right there in the town of Metter. Now some of you may not have realized that Metter had a theater. It was one of the most marvelous drive-ins that South Georgia could offer. But I was underage. I wasn't supposed to be in that theater at all. And I can remember that my brother and his friend, I'm trying to keep the friend's name out of this because he may have family in the area. Um, 
my brother and, and his friend told me to get in the back seat down in the floorboard and they covered me up with a blanket and they said, be still, we'll get you into this movie. Not only did I go into a movie that I was not aged to see, I didn't pay a dime going into that movie. <laughs> and the most remarkable thing of all is that my brother is a Methodist minister up in Macon and I'm a Methodist minister in Statesboro now. <laughs> Somehow God has done his redemptive work in our midst. Steppenwolf had it right for us singing that classic old song of 45 years now, Born to be Wild. We were born to be wild. And we were pushing the edges of what that meant. Where have your deceptions been in years past? What is it that comes to mind when you think of your own ways of trickery in regards to people, whether it be in your family or in the community? Or maybe it be that your mind goes to the ways in which you have been tricked by others. Some people carry that burden with them all of their life. Things that happen to them at an early age that were not fair. It affects us, you know. All of this deception in the world. The unfolding story of our history in the book of Genesis, is very frank about our propensity to deceive each other. When Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac took Rebekah as his wife, they helped set the standard for what dysfunctional family was to be about. Did you hear as, as this story began to unfold that Jacob caught hold to his brother's heel as they were emerging into the world. It was the definition for who they were, but not only was it the definition for their relationship, brother to brother, but it was guided by the parents as well. Listen to the continuation of this story. When her time had come to give birth and was at hand, there were twins in the womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so that they named him Esau. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Did you get that? Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Now you may be saying to yourself, what's harmed there? Isn't that the way it is in every family? Everybody has a favorite child, right? You know, that may be okay for the favorite child. But if you weren't the one that was favored... Think about how that affects your life. You and I are here to pass on better to the generations to come. Isaac loved Esau, Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. 
And because of this calculated error in their judgment of what could make good family life, they did great damage to their sons and to the world. With the help of his mother, Jacob pulled off two classic trick plays. The first, which did not in the Bible mention her name, bears all the handprints of her being behind the scene. Esau had gone off to hunt as his usual practice. Jacob was back in the kitchen not far from where his mother's knees were and how she had raised him there, this child that she loved so dearly. When Esau came in, he was famished and he wanted nothing else but a good bowl of stew that he smelled brewing there. What a wonderful thing, he thought, to end this day of hunting. Now, I don't know how dense he was, but certainly he wasn't smart enough to see exactly what his brother was up to. Because when Jacob spoke to Esau and said, hey, I'll give you this bowl of soup if you'll give me your birthright. Now, Esau was thinking to himself, we don't have much for me to inherit. What's it going to matter if you've got the birthright or if I've got the birthright? Just give me that soup. And Jacob said, you promise. And Esau said, the birthright's yours. Have with it. And the first trick play was done. Jacob was on a path to receive an even more important blessing. And that was the one that his father would pass on this mystical handing on of goodwill that was passed from one generation to the next at that point that was the older generation was nearing death. And this is the second of the trick plays. The father that was there, his eyes were dimming and his ears probably as well, was tricked by Rebecca and Jacob who saw the opportunity when Esau had gone off to hunt again at the father's request and they came in and presented Jacob as if he was Esau. When Isaac blessed Jacob, whom he thought was Esau, it was a blessing that could not be undone. Do you remember the story of how Esau reacted to this blessing? It says clearly that he wanted to kill Jacob. He would have not done the same for his mother, simply wanting to honor her, but he wanted to kill his brother whom he knew had really meant for his own harm. Rebekah told Jacob to take off to save his life. Now it's interesting here because God is always at work in all of our dysfunction. It doesn't matter what kind of curves we throw 
doesn't matter what kind of trickery we play, God is always at work seeking to redeem us from the mess that we're making of our lives. And there's evidence that God was at work within Jacob right away. As he wandered off into the desert in the direction of Haran, he lay down that evening and fell asleep. Do you remember the story of his dream, how he imagined this ladder as it was that stretched from the earth all the way up to the heavens and there were angelic beings that were descending and ascending as he dreamed he felt the very presence of God in his life. I have a feeling it was a coming, coming to himself of just what he had done. But do you think that God was not working also in Esau's life? When years had passed and Jacob determined that he would head home, he thought to himself, surely my brother has just become more angry through the years. And he will want to kill me as soon as he sees me. But God had been working in Esau's life, maybe in an even more powerful way than in Jacob's life. Because when Jacob shows up, you know what Esau does? The incredible. Esau wraps his arms around Jacob and embraces him and tells him that all he has is his and he is welcome to stay right there in the land. God had been working through both of these men to teach them what it means To be a follower of God's ways. You and I can persist in deceiving ourselves and deceiving others in our family and in the community thinking that this is just the way it is. But I'm here to tell you that there's better. I'm always asking myself, what is God up to? When I get up to preach, I ask myself the question, what does this have to do with Jesus? And what does it have to do with me? Do you remember who Jesus was, don't you? Do you remember what he was about? Was he some kind of trickster come into our midst? Of course not. The very nature of who he was was shared in that Sermon on the Mount as Matthew uh, writes it. And as he remembers Jesus' instruction, he has Jesus sharing. You have heard that it was said in those ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. You'll be liable to judgment. And do you remember that Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And do you remember that Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's such integrity, such truth in what Jesus was bringing into the world. You see, this is the clearest picture that we will ever get 
of the nature of God. When we come together to feast at his table, you know that we come here to this table of grace and this table of truth and this table of love. We come to commune in this place and to receive all that God has to offer. Don't come here with all your deception. It makes a mockery of what Christ wishes to do. Jesus doesn't need more tricksters. Jesus needs more people that will simply love, truthfully love in his name. All are welcome to this table. Remember, all are welcome to this place. Come and receive as God gives you guidance.